0: Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John, was ba- John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. This is the word of the Lord you can be seated
1: all right good morning it's uh, it is great to see you all here this morning my name is Dave and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson and uh, if you're new um, again welcome I'd love to get to know you and uh, help you get 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 plugged in here um, also if you are new or you've never heard me preach before I just want to let you know I have a speech in. in so it'll kind of come in and out as, as we go. And uh, I want to just make sure that you know what that is. And um, I also want to acknowledge this morning that we um, may have a couple of the elementary school kids in here. And uh, I want to just take this time to um, welcome uh, them and also just to speak to all of us about our heart for kind of cross-generational, intergenerational. Um, mm, Ministry. So the kids and their parents uh, got an option this morning to um, to help serve the other kids and the other classes. And so I think some of them, uh, I know all of my kids, they hear me talk enough, um, they all chose that option. But um, also some did want to be in here. And I sw- again want to take that moment to say that we really encourage and commission parents to disciple their children, to follow Jesus in whatever way that works most effectively. If that means having them in here here from very early on to be a part of um, this time of corporate worship, or for some, you may want to leave at the end of the sermon and go and get your kids and bring them in here for the time of response and to sing, and so all that to say, um, we love having kids in here, and and some of them, some of you uh, kids are in here, and so welcome, we're uh, glad you're here. And so, just again, want to take that opportunity to share our heart about really family, or as we just talked about, all of life, discipleship. Amen. So I'm going to call for some amens, by the way, every once in a while to make sure that you guys are tracking and that we're all in the same place. And so uh, we're going to keep on in our sermon series through Acts this morning, kind of the end of chapter 18 and then into chapter 19. So if you will go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles there as we get into our time together. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up? high, and keep it up, and somebody will get you one, okay? We want to make sure you have a Bible that you can read and understand and follow along with, and if you don't own a Bible, you do now, okay? This is our gift to you, so please take this, put your name in it, underline stuff, make it your own. Y si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, uh, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, uh, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos, capítulo Okay, so again, want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with. And um, as we get in there, let me just kind of give us some handlebars for where we'll be in our time in the Word this morning. Because some bigger subjects will come up, and we're also in, a, in another of many transition points. As we've been walking through Acts, which just quick kind of... <laughs> catch up, if you will, is the book of Acts is is all about the works of God. It's the acts of God on display as he's forming his people, his church. Okay, That word church is the people of God who are coming together. And so this is God forming and calling a people to be his own. And what happened in the very end of where we were last week in Acts 18, verse 23, it talks about the Apostle Paul kind of went on somewhat of like a pastoral kind of follow-up time, okay? He went around to some churches where he had helped plant those churches and he went to kind of check in with them and help them see what it looks like and means to f- follow Jesus. And so that's what's going on as we now get into verse 24. And and, and he's doing that. And what we'll see on display is that, is that Jesus is forming a people. He's calling a people of faith. And yet, that's a word, right, that we just throw around like it's some people's name, right? We give it to our kids. We, you know, we, we just throw it out there. Oh, I have faith in this, right? We, you know, it's like um, we were watching a, a, a game with a, a uh, went to a b- baseball game on Friday night, the Tucson Saguaro's. Let me get a woot woot. Anyone? <laughs> okay, some of you, most of you don't even know they exist. We got to keep baseball in Tucson, okay? So go out to some Tucson Saguaro's games. They're a some level professional baseball. I don't know what level that is exactly, but it's fun, by the way. It's just a fun time. So anyway, one of the kids there, all five kids that we took got a foul ball. It was incredible. We were we were we were positioned that also tells you how many people were or were not at the game and how easy it was to go chase down fly balls or foul balls, but one of the kids, the last batter, two kids of the five had still not gotten foul balls. And they were like, one of the kids said, there's a 99.9% chance I'm not getting a ball. And this kid goes to Basis Tucson, something guys know about Basis, so he knows his math and his statistics. <laughs> and he was, you know, like, there's just no way. And what happens? This batter, boom, hits a foul ball. He gets it. He's ecstatic. But there's still one kid left. Well, the second to last pitch gets hit into the stands. These other kids, bigger kids are chasing, they're, they're descending on it. And one of these other kids comes barreling down with our group, gets the foul ball, boom, all five. And then the next pitch was strike three game over, right? So incredible, right? So we had faith, okay? We're just telling this kid, have faith. But like, Like, honestly, right, candidly, my faith was not too strong, (laughs) that it would, we would all, they would all get foul balls. And what was it, what was it built upon? Like, in fact, if anything, I should have been pretty confident that, like, you wouldn't get two foul balls hit back to back and right there in that same spot. So faith, what is it? What does it really look like for us to have a faith that actually informs how we live our lives? Well, that's what we'll see here as we get into our time in the, in the, in the scriptures, as we, int- we get introduced to different characters and different things. But again, the, whole, the main picture is about God and who he is and what he's doing and what it means to be his people. So what it means to be a people of faith, you'll see here, is that we're going to walk through and that we're going to see that faith in Jesus is to have a faith that is true and then to have a faith that is spirit-led And then a faith that is powerful. And so that's what we'll see as we walk through this section of Scripture. And let's pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to lead our time this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. We recognize and acknowledge that depending on our circumstances, depending on our life, history, and family of origin, and all kinds of different things, we all have different levels of optimism or pessimism and and all this in different things. And yet... Um, we come before you asking you to shape us, asking you to reveal who you are so that our lives won't just be determined by how we feel or, again, our circumstances, but, Lord, that you would form us to be a people of faith, of trust, of hope, in truth, led by your Holy Spirit, and living lives where your power is on display. So we trust now that you will form us and shape us through our time in your perfect word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So picking up with me, Acts 18, verse 24 here. We see a, a true faith is what God is calling us to and establishing through his son Jesus. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, so that's Egypt, A great place of cultural, intellectual knowledge and wisdom and all kinds of things. So he's from Alexandria and he came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately. Okay, you can underline or circle or at least focus on that word accurately. He, he taught and spoke of these things of God accurately, the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. But he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So that word accurately has come up there a couple times. And so before we, we get into this guy, Colos uh, and we get to know some about him, I, I, I told you last week that we'd get back to these, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And now we get to see God continuing to use them in mighty ways. And if you weren't here last week or you forgot, which is okay, um, they are a couple that were in Rome, Okay, so they're Roman, and they were a part of the church. They had put their faith in Jesus and they were growing in their faith and they were living all of life all for Jesus and they were doing all these things and yet persecution came into Rome. And under the emperor Cornelius, they were, uh, they were, they were, um, they were persecuted and they had to flee. They were displaced like many in our country, in our own city, r- refugees running away, seeking safety and shelter, and yet we see in them God using that for good. Okay, They don't just, just go and say, oh man, we're having a difficult life right now, we're going to put our faith on the back burner and just kind of take care of what we're doing now. God uses that. In fact, last week, if you remember, they were used to encourage Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we saw last week, like he's not all good, not all perfect. He was frustrated and grumpy, and God used this couple here to come alongside him. They had the same work, and they worked alongside each other. They were tent makers, and, and God used them in that case. And now here again, this guy who's, who's, who's doing incredible things, um, Apollos, needs to be mentored and discipled. Okay, not too different from our own context and environment here, that we've got a lot of fervent young people, millennials. I think of a a couple of different couples. I think of the Paulsons and the Wiselys and the advisors and others that, that when they first started coming, though we're growing in this way, would look around and be like, uh, one of these things doesn't look like the other. You know, like there were a lot of young people here and they could have very easily said, oh, I guess this isn't for me. I don't, I'm going to just leave. But no, they saw an opportunity to invest and pour their lives into others, other generations and to learn from and grow alongside people of other generations and hopefully, right, young people kind of exhortation time here for us too, or for you, I guess. I don't know where I fit in this whole equation like you know we've got a lot to learn and a lot to give and so God's picture for cross-generational ministry again is clearly on display here and so they're being used mightily to shape this guy Apollos and something else though here that's going on that we might not pick up right away is that also a marginalized demographic in this time was women and so the fact that the author, Luke, as he wrote about this couple, he includes Priscilla. He doesn't just say, oh, you know, Aquila and, you know, you just assume he had a wife or whatever and move on. No, he, in fact, he even puts her name first. Like, we don't know a ton about it, but we know that she was a godly woman and that God used her to help shape and, and, and to help mentor this young Pastor, this young minister, this young evangelist, Apollos, in massive, significant ways. And God is all about using all people and forming his church, and just recognize this would be incredibly countercultural in a first century kind of context for this kind of um, incredible emphasis to be, to be given here. And so God is using this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, to pour into this guy, Apollos. And notice here, something that, kind of a weird dynamic going on, that this guy, Apollos, again, from Alexandria, learned, intellectual, he's, he's, he's speaking and teaching, right, verse 25, accurately. The things are actually verse, yeah, verse 25. He's speaking accurately the things concerning Jesus. But not fully, because he only knew about the baptism of John. And we'll get to that in a minute, about the baptism of John and these different baptisms that are going on that's really important for us. But Right? He's got it right. He knows the truth of following Jesus. He knows some of the truth, but not all of it. And in fact, it goes on, right? So he was speaking accurately. And then in down in verse uh, 26, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay? So he's got faith in Jesus. He knows truth and truth is important, but he doesn't know all the truth. And so he's preaching accurately, and then they disciple him, they pour into him, and he now can more effectively and more accurately proclaim the good news of Jesus. So hear me, okay, faith in Jesus is true, and something that we can be encouraged by and compelled by is that the good news of Jesus, the grace, right? We talk a lot about grace. Um, uh, D- Dan did an incredible job during the, 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 the worship set as we transitioned in our liturgical order and we went from our time of confession into our, our time of assurance of grace and standing in grace. Well, grace never leaves you complacent, okay? If it does, like grace without truth is no longer grace, Okay, it's, it becomes graceless, and, so, and, and those two have to go hand in hand, and so when you understand the truth of grace, of undeserved favor, of unearned acceptance and love of God, and his sovereignty is meant to, to bring a peace, but not a laziness or a complacency, and so the fact that Apollos here knows the truth, you see, it doesn't just mean, oh, I got, hey, I got the basics. Right, the gospel is simple. Hear me, the gospel means good news. It's simple enough for a child to understand, but not simplistic. Okay, we never get past that place of having more to learn, more of the realities of God and his grace and, and his goodness and what it means. There are more and more opportunities around every bend for us to see the reality of our desperate need for Jesus and the profound provision that God has given through Jesus amen and so in this case let me encourage us first of all you can see God using us even before we get it right okay you don't have to have a seminary degree if you're a new believer you've just recently put your faith in Jesus and you're just growing in this okay you don't have to know Greek and Hebrew and you don't have to know all the songs and have gone to all the church camps and done all these things to be used by God he can and will use his people where we are, to simply share our experience and our understanding of the good news of Jesus that we have responded to personally. And yet, is it, so should we just sit there and say, oh, why waste your time learning the languages? Why waste your time learning how to study the scriptures? Why waste your time learning how to exegete and follow and understand and dive in and roll your sleeves up and really, really grasp and learn the, the, the deeper meanings of, of the scriptures and new realities of God and his character that we can understand? Why waste your time with that? Again, if it's true faith, that will not be your posture, And and what we see here is that in God's grace, that he's calling and forming a people to follow him. He's using a people who will have a true faith. And when there's true faith, always, every time, it must be a spirit-led faith. And that's what we'll get into now in this next section. You see, picking up in chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so going on there, there might be some confusion here that I want to pause and acknowledge and recognize, okay? Because some of these things, some of us maybe even come from theological persuasions that, that talk about two baptism or something like that or 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 you've just you know different theologies and different understandings and this is a scripture that we come to and right we love the bible we go through books of the bible we submit to the scriptures we stand when we read god's word and also what that means is we don't shy away from the difficult passages and difficult places we don't just kind of keep it again simplistic So what's going on here? This baptism of John has been mentioned here a couple times. What does it mean to be baptized under the baptism of John? Well, John is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus who came before him. And you can read about this whole thing in Mark chapter 1. You see this all all laid out that John the Baptist came before Jesus. He was a fulfillment of the prophecies from the Old Testament that one would come preparing the way before Jesus would come and would begin his earthly ministry. And that was John the Baptist. And he was baptizing, calling people to a repentance, okay? And a repentance means a recognition of where you are and of your separation from God and confessing your sin and then turning to him, but it was incomplete, and he even knew that. John the Baptist knew that the fulfillment of that, what it meant to turn to God and to receive his grace, had to come fully and perfectly through the person and work of Jesus. Okay, don't just take my word for it. Look with me. I have it up here on the screen, or if you want to try to you know, turn there, you can go to Mark chapter 1. And in verses 4, and then again in verses 7 through 8, we see John himself declaring how this all works. Now John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then it goes on in those next verses if you're wondering why it just talks about what he ate and what he wore and it's important there. We actually preached through it last year so you can go back if you want to hear that. But now it gets into the content of what he's saying again. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. That's Jesus, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an either or. It's not a this or that. It's not, well, I'm of John's baptism. And I'm, no, again, if it's true faith, if it's real faith, faith, it has to be centered and built upon the person and work of Jesus, which always will include the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist knew that, so when he saw Jesus coming, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Okay, this is, and just kind of quick recap here, the importance of this that we're talking is that even Jesus said, right, he came, he was sent by God the Father to restore what had been broken, to reconcile people, that's you and me, image bearers, made in God's image, but because of sin that entered into the world, in a nutshell, sin is, no thanks God, I wanna go at it my own way, I wanna do things my way, I I wanna take my identity, and my purpose and form it as I want it to be. And that and sin entered in and permeated every one of us and everything in our world, affected by sin. And God doesn't leave us there and fine and just say, fine, you know, go with it. Good luck with that. No, but instead he, he, he sends his son, Jesus, God the Son, Emmanuel, God with us to come. And so Jesus comes and he lives his perfect life and then he begins his earthly ministry and it all leads, he's ushering in the kingdom of God, the way things ought to be. And then he comes and he dies on the cross and he lays down his life and he sacrifices himself to, to call a people to be reconciled to God. And then he raises victoriously from the dead, ushering in the, Kingdom. Are you here? Are you following me? Because this is so important. This builds up to this ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is so sadly so underplayed so often within churches, often even ones that we maybe connect with and would identify with, and kind of the circles that we would run in. And so this is how it all fits together. And then Jesus uh, Jesus raises from the dead, and everyone's so excited. And okay, here it is: the kingdom is now here. It's ushered in. It's been established. And then Jesus says, "But I'm I'm gonna leave." And understandably, everyone's like, "Why? Why would you do that? Please don't do that." And and he says, "No, it's better that I do, because I'm gonna send a helper." who won't just be far off, but will, will, will indwell you, who will lead you, who will empower you to fulfill the very, the very plan of God from the beginning of time. You will be the church. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said, and you're going to go all, all over the world and you're going to make disciples and you're going you're to you're be established to, to help to, 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 to be empowered to carry out my work and my ministry. And that's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus ascends and then Pentecost comes. Right? Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit is sent and, 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 and is now established in forming God's people to carry out his work. And that's what we have happening and explained right here. And so, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to put your faith in Jesus. It means to have the Holy Spirit now indwelling you. Okay, hear me. Again, look at me because I know this can be confusing for some. If you have put your faith in Jesus, we believe very strongly here that you have the Holy Spirit. You have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's not a second event that happens in some other place. So why here, though? Okay, I don't want to skirt around it and acknowledge it. Well, why does that happen here? Well, similar back in Acts chapter eight, we saw something similar. Right, people put their faith in Jesus. They 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 they, they, they understand most of the gospel, and they respond and they say, oh yeah, we want to trust in Jesus. But in the early formation of the church, in particular contexts, in some places throughout Acts, things are descriptive and not prescriptive He's not saying, this is always how it works. This is how it will always happen. The Holy Spirit will come second or in this other time. And though some theological persuasions believe that, we would very strongly reject that and say that is not in line with the teaching of scriptures. In the very beginning, in the early forming of the early church, that did happen and there was always a purpose. Like we explained when we were in Acts chapter eight, it was because there were all kinds of other things going on. There were Jews and Gentiles. There was, there was racial division. And prejudice and separation, and so and to show that God is forming one people, okay, to be His. He 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 he. In some cases, early on, delays the sending of the Holy Spirit until an apostle can get there—a Jewish apostle commissioned by God, by Jesus Himself, to come and to lay hands on on these particular people. And to then have the Holy Spirit come so that they can't say, oh, yeah, well, they're second-class citizens. They're... No. okay. So there's, there's social justice going on here in the Bible, in the church. Amen? Okay, that's not just a secondary thing here. God is forming a people, and it's good, and it's important, and so that's what happens. Now, I want to recognize, okay, we're in a little bit of murky waters. We're going to kind of jump out pretty quickly, but let me, let me read something, and then I'll explain a little bit more that I think will help us. But first, let me just acknowledge something that within Redemption Church, okay, we acknowledge that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit is, um, is something that, that, uh, that we hold open-handedly in terms of how he manifests himself today. We do, like I just said, we strongly believe that the scriptures teach that to put your faith in Jesus means to now be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you're not indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then you haven't genuinely authentically put your faith in Jesus. You're not a Christian, we would say according to scriptures. That when you do put your faith in him, you are now filled. We you see that in just one of many places in Galatians chapter 3, you see him declaring there that, that the, the, the work of the ministry begins by the Spirit and then is continued and completed and fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. So you see that happen, okay? But some persuasions, some beliefs would say, but there are also unique expressions or manifestations of the Holy Spirit today. And we hold that open-handedly across redemption. We would say that you can have different opinions. Someone came up and asked me last week, is this church a cessationist church, which says, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't continue to work in those miraculous ways today. And some people here would hold that view. And some would say, no, we believe that the Holy Spirit can continue to do what He will do today in the miraculous, including like we just see here, people speaking in tongues and things like that. So let me just read you a quote, and then I'll explain a little bit more from this guy, um, Sam Storms. He says uh, he he says this: Spirit baptism describes what happens when one becomes a Christian. Okay, this is what I just said. Therefore, all Christians, by definition, have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so again, he comes into your heart, he sets up residence, he is there, he informs you through your conscience, through the reading of God's word, through community, you have discernment, you are led and, 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 and now indwelt by God the Holy Spirit. However, there are also multiple subsequent experiences of the Spirit's activity. After conversion, the Spirit may yet come with varying degrees of intensity, wherein the Christian is overwhelmed, empowered, anointed, or in some cases endued. This release of new power, this manifestation... I like that word myself personally of all the options he gave us. This manifestation of the Spirit's intimate presence is most likely to be identified with what the New Testament calls the filling of the Spirit. So in short, what I think this is saying and I think might be helpful and just full disclosure is my particular belief is this. Okay, we, there's no, no debate on the fact that if you put your faith in Jesus and you are a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit by definition. And the Holy Spirit is presently at work in and through God's people in whatever way he wishes to do. In different contexts, in different, in different places, in different experiences, different ways, in different people. He will show up and will, will again um, endow or give different gifts. Sometimes for a particular, uh, a particular situation, a particular conversation. in um, t- this speaking in tongues, in a particular prayer language. Some of these things. So what he's saying, the Holy Spirit can do. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He will do what he will do. Okay and so and so this is what this quote is saying. this is what I am saying. this is what I think even we're seeing on display here in the scriptures, but again, to be abundantly clear to come back, where there's no debate is that faith in Jesus is true and is spirit led from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit oversees and leads, and then lastly, there is power, there is true power in and only in and through the name of Jesus. And so pick up with me again in verse 11 as we kind of pick up the pace here and bring it back, and we see what real faith in Jesus looks like. And God was doing extraordinary miracles. Who was doing these extraordinary miracles? God was doing. Okay, that's important there. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I just got to say for a second, again, that's what in that particular context, at that particular time, God chose to do. He chose to use these things, these handkerchiefs, I don't know that I want to be touched with someone's handkerchief, right, even if it means getting healed. But, um, you know, it's kind of gross. But these different things that have just touched Paul's skin are now, God's doing incredible things in that particular time to establish his church in that particular way. Do I think that today, in some context, he could do this? Yeah, if he wants to. Just... Again, kind of real talk, the churches and the context and the kind of theological persuasions where I've seen this type of thing going is usually to manipulate people and not to glorify God. Okay, I was a part of a particular church that was kind of like this. And usually when aprons and handkerchiefs and things were being blessed, they were being sold at high dollar Okay, to try to help somebody you know, get some kind of healing. That's not the work of the Spirit. That's not honoring the name of Jesus, as we'll see here in a second. But that's what's going on in this case, in this time, that's as, God words, as God's Word says is happening. And some people catch wind of this, right? Like, yeah, that's a pretty miraculous thing to happen. So look what happens here in verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, okay. Invoke is probably something we want to stay away from. Okay, it has the connotation or the idea, the picture of, again, manipulating. Using for selfish gain or saying, I'm in control and how can I use whatever I can get my hands on to fulfill my agenda. So that's what they're doing here. They seek to invoke the name of Jesus. Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by, and I could just picture them kind of putting on their like country club voice, right? I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And so seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? boom and in whom was the evil and, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded <laughs> yeah it's okay to laugh that's funny <laughs> but it's also tragically all too real It probably doesn't show up this way in here in our context. As I said, in other places, in other churches, one I was even a part of at one point in my life as a young child, and um, I saw some of these things where people would try to use Jesus, his name, which we'll get into what name means, but try to use it as like abracadabra. Oh, what's the magic word? Oh, it's Jesus. Just like, just having it, just saying it. And these guys are like, oh, Jesus, it's Jesus whom Paul proclaims him, you know, abracadabra, uh, abracadabra, you know, like in, in like Mary Poppins or something, just kind of throw it out there. And then boom, things happen, you know, like cars come out of suitcases and whatever. And that's how we're gonna deal with these things. And it was so clearly selfish gain. Seeking to invoke the name of Jesus. Or more clearly, seeking to use the name of Jesus for selfish gain. And let me tell you, that never goes well. The name of Jesus which goes on in this next part, and I'm not going to read all of them, but you can even see in uh, verses 13, and, or so in verse 5, verse 13, and verse 17 of chapter 19. Okay, so 19, 5, 19, 13, 19, 17. All specific, the author has a point here because he's saying the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus, it continues. And this idea of name in their day was not just, a, not just a magic word, not just, you know, again, abracadabra. It was personhood, identity, authority, purpose, commissioning, it was all, it, the name, to to make a name for yourself. Okay, think of it along those lines. And then we see in Philippians chapter two, this picture that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It's not Jesus. And then you wonder like this real talk, like in Spanish, okay, Jesus, is that, is it wrong to name my kid Jesus? Is that stealing, you know, is that stealing from Jesus or whatever? No, this is, this is, and even in Spanish, just so you know, that's not, It would they would say, Jesus okay? El Señor, el Señor. Okay, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach, like Jesus, the Messiah, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the one that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, the one that even demons will say and will tremble, will shudder, the Jesus, not just a magic word, not someone or something to manipulate and use for selfish gain, but the Lord, the real person who we will bow at his feet and who is the King of kings and the Lord, of lords the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and so if you have a faith in him it is a true faith and it is a spirit-led faith and if it is a spirit-led faith it will always be powerful but not for selfish gain it will it will have the power of jesus being glorified and his people being blessed and his good news demanding a response and that's what was happening as we see these miraculous things happening and taking place in the early church. Even these handkerchiefs and aprons, people being raised from the dead, the Apostle Paul getting bitten by a snake, and not die, a very poisonous snake and not dying, all these kinds of things that are happening. And the seemingly magnificent, and in our day today, the seemingly normal, is always God at work proclaiming and declaring the good news of Jesus for his glory and others' good. And we heard an all-of-life interview earlier talked about what this looks like in the workplace. And now we need to consider what does this look like in your life? What does walking with this kind of real faith look like? What does it look like for us? True faith. Do you ever grow numb or grow inoculated to the good news of Jesus? wherever you are, you can be encouraged that you don't have to have all these lofty degrees and know it all to be used by God. And yet he is continually bringing us into, shaping us in the image of Christ, bringing us, fleshing out the full implications of who he is and what he's doing. And his Holy Spirit, which if you put your trust in Jesus, indwells you. Like that is massive. Massive. You have worth and value that God himself would choose to reside in you, to inform you, to lead you, to direct you. If you're wondering where you should go, what you should be doing, how you should live when you wake up in the morning, man, a good place to start is God. As I come before your word, as I live among your people, and as I I depend upon your spirit, you will direct me. You will lead me. There's a faith and an assurance there that cannot be taken away. And then finally, there's a power but again, only in and through and for the name of Jesus to be exalted as God is forming a people and carrying out his mission who are a people of faith, true faith, spirit-led faith, and powerful faith. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time we've had in your word. Thank you that, uh, We don't have to have it all figured out, but we can come before you. We can submit to your scriptures. We can rely on your sovereignty, on your oversight, on your power, on your wisdom. Lord, for those of us here this morning who need to be encouraged, who need to look at someone like Apollos, who was being used profoundly by you, but still had more to learn Lord, encourage us to press in all the more, to spend time in your word, to, to, to learn more of what it means to be your, your follower, to be your image bearer, to be your disciple. And Lord, I pray that we would be formed and shaped and empowered and led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, for those of us who have, who have sought to use the Holy Spirit for selfish gain, I pray that we would be, we would be broken and called out. Lord, that we would repent and confess Lord, that we would all in turn see the incredible reality of you choosing to work through us, even in, in, in this city, in Tucson, through the power of God the Holy Spirit at work. Lord, I pray that we would see your power on display in incredible ways. And Lord, we don't want to define what that looks like, but here at the school, Safford, that we get to partner with in our workplaces, in our homes, with our neighbors. We pray that the power of Jesus' name proclaimed and displayed would be clearly evident as we are your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.